I, it's not unknown for me to pull over while I'm driving because something has popped into my head and I have to get it out. I don't like having, I don't like trying to retain a good thought. If I've got a good thought that's formulated in my head, <laughs> such a bad analogy, but I have to say it, it's like a projectile vomit. I have to get it out. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode two of season two. Yeah, it feels funny going back to like single-digit episode numbers, but that's where we are. It does. The voice at the start of this episode, <laughs> uh, speaking with you, is a listener. Yeah, I haven't done a listener chat the in old quite listen- some time. The listener chats, it's, they're back. They are back. So uh, it's Zan, Zan Holyoke, who reached out to me via email as we were doing our nature experiment last year, actually. Back in like March, March 2018. March, yeah. So we've been emailing back and forth a bit and it was just lovely getting to know her. And the more of her story that I discovered, the more I really wanted to share it mm. with people because... Uh, Zan has got a lot to share and she's got a lot of very hard-fought wisdom to share with people. She's in a very unique situation and very challenging situation. She is. About slow living. But you've had a number of these emails come through throughout the year and last year because everything was so crazy, you were like, let's put everything on hold. So now you're getting back to those emails and getting back to connecting with these people. And, yeah, that's why we want to share their, their stories with you in this season. Now, before we get into it, Zan does write a beautiful blog and takes some gorgeous photos that if you're at all interested in uh, simple living with a young family, you may want to check out. It is consciouscaterpillar.com. The consciouscaterpillar.com links to her blog will be in the show notes. And the show notes are at slowyourhome.com slash season two. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Zan. How are you? Hi, Brooke. I'm really well. How are you? I'm so well and bloody delighted to be talking to you. We've been emailing each other on and off for uh, probably, it was uh, in March or maybe at the end of March after the Um, Great Outdoors experiment that you first dropped me an email. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I wondered how long ago that was, but far out. Yeah, yeah, Nine months. And it's just yeah. been a delight to get to know a little bit about you via email. So it's really nice to be actually talking to you, even though we're on the yeah, other side of the world. thank you. So, I, you know what, I want to dive straight into it because one of, the, one of my favorite questions to ask people when they come on the show is where their whole journey towards slowing down, simplifying, sustainability, whatever it is, like where it all started. Because I think for me that's a fascinating question to ask and a fascinating answer to get because everyone starts uh, in a different place and everyone starts with different changes but it also makes you know what comes next feel more accessible you know I, I feel like we are often shown these success stories of decluttering or tiny house living or whatever and we can't ever imagine getting ourselves from where we are to something like that yeah. because it doesn't feel yeah. like real life for us um, but when you go back to where people began all of a sudden it feels more doable. So you, I mean, you now write about 
for many publications and on your own blog about slowing down, simplifying sustainability. But where did that begin for you? What started it? Really long time ago. <laughs> I think it even started around the year 2000, 2001, when um, I... I did my very first trip overseas, which was with my, you know, childhood longtime dearest girlfriend in the world. The two of us packed our backpacks and went trekking in Nepal in the Himalayas. And then after that, we just spent some time in India. Um, and I think it was that experience of, you know, sort of being, you know, in um, a country of that economic structure mm. and with just such extraordinary levels of poverty that just woke me up. You know, when we were trekking in the Himalayas, a little village that we passed through, I remember seeing a bunch of kids that um, were playing soccer or something, a game similar to that anyway, um, and their ball, which was the size of a soccer ball, was made out, was like a rattan ball. It was made out of grasses or something and their net was similar, like it was all handmade. And these kids were the happiest children mm. I had ever seen, you know, at that stage. And and I remember, like, really acknowledging that, thinking these kids are just so happy and far out. They've got, you know, in comparison to what we have in our, you know, comfy, cosy Western world, I thought they've got nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my God, you know, like they have to bucket water from the stream and they don't have electricity and, you know, having a generator on is a luxury. And it, it just struck me and I just, you know, and I came back to Australia and just kind of went, wow, like what, what's the missing piece here? Like, you know, so that was actually probably what the earliest thing that started building my awareness that got me kind of, you know, sort of just a little bit more open-minded about the world outside of the luxuries of Australia. Yeah. Let's fast forward a bit because I'm curious about, so your blog is wonderful, by the way, The Conscious Caterpillar. Oh. Uh, it's really wonderful. Like you, you write really beautifully. You're obviously super passionate about sustainability, slow living and the impact and the way that that impacts your family. Why did you start that? I mean, was that something that you had just become more and more passionate about a bit like me with my blog where you're like, I just have to write about it. Or was there a grand plan there? I'd had this you know, this this moment where I just, you know, I was coming out of being in the thick of um, being a stay-at-home parent. You know, my kids were starting to actually, one was going to school um, and, you know, the other was on the soon to start kindy mm -hmm. and I was ready for to refuel myself in other ways a little bit. And parallel to that, I had, you know, so I started thinking about, okay, well, what's next for me? Because, you know, obviously pre-kids and stuff had been the film industry and I knew that that wasn't a direction I wanted to take because I couldn't figure out how that would actually create a sustainable situation for me to be the mum that I wanted to be. You know, I, I reflected on it for ages and then I just kind of had this real, oh, duh, moment where I just realised that I was a writer and I just kind of thought, that's my thing. That's kind of what lights me up inside. And I was writing anyway, journaling, and just, you know, I would have these thoughts and I'd just be reaching for scraps of paper and I'd just be doing it. Then, like, honestly, within days of me having that realisation, um, I don't know what rabbit hole I was down or what email mailing list I was on. I can't remember. But there was a, a an art and craft retreat in the States. I think I'd found out about that. And so I joined their mailing list just because, you know, out of curiosity and out of interest and inspiration. And then they, 
uh, hosted an online course by another writer who was doing a how to get yourself published online course and she the teacher of that course Christine has since become a really close friend of mine she's delightful and I signed up and I got right into it (laughs) I like I really dedicated myself I went for a month and at the end of that I started pitching to magazines and stuff and just um you know right go along that journey of knockbacks and keeping on pitching and I'm not I don't give up very easily. (laughs) I just kind of keep going. And that doesn't mean to say that I don't feel the pain when you get a knockback or the disappointment. Um, So I just kept going until someone bloody published me. (laughs) And um, and I worked for free. Like at that stage, I was writing articles for free. And then I got to a point where I just thought, I kind of want to be paid. So, yeah, so I asked Christine, the teacher, I said, so if I want to be, if I want to take writing seriously and be professional and actually get published, do you think I need to start a blog? Do you think that it would be a disadvantage for me not to have that online presence? And she said, I really can't. She was beautiful, the smartest answer ever. She said, I really can't answer that question for you, but I do know from my experience, blah, 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 blah. And so, and everyone else, you know, like everyone seemed to have a blog and I was kind of like, you know, I was also taking loads of photos at that stage with no home for them. They were just clogging up my hard drive and I just kind of went, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. I was really worried that it would sap too much time. I didn't want it to be cut, turn into a real, a, you know, like a time sucker and, you know, to, to just to be a slave to it and stuff like that. And you know, I, I think that just comes down to management of boundaries and stuff. I Once I started, I realised that I actually really loved it, so I just got into it. So, And you started kind of chronicling the changes that you and your family were making for, you know, a year or so, uh, which kind of really vary across, you know, slowing down. They really do, but it, like they're, they all have this thread of intention and excavating the important things in life and getting rid of the things that aren't. And it's, it's, it's really beautiful to see the way, all the different ways that you do that, the way that you parent and the changes that you make at home and the changes that you make in yourself and even just your love of writing and photography and nature, it all comes to this really beautiful portrait of someone who is doing the continuous work of excavating a, a, a good life, you know, and I think it's, re- it's really wonderful. It really is. <laughs> so beautiful thank you no thank you um and then in so then you know moving forward again another time leap I guess in 2015 um your husband Tuck was killed in a Mm -hmm. motorbike accident yeah and I I said to Ben before I started recording I'm like I'm going to be so ham-fisted here and say something dumb so I just want you to know that I (laughs) I just I, I appreciate how open you said you were happy to be about this conversation I mean, and it was obviously such a shock. So that sent your family into a tailspin, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, game changer. Like, of course, you know, everything, just... everything was different. Everything was unfamiliar. Um, you know, like nothing, nothing was the same, not a single grain. And I completely had an identity crisis because I didn't know who the hell I was because I'd, I'd been with Tuck for over 17 years, you know, like I was – um, 21 when we met and I was, and he died, um, the, 
he died the January and I turned 40 the following January. Right. So he, um, so I just turned 39 before he died. And um, like after he died, I just, you know, I suppose in, as the weeks unfolded, I just kind of sat and just went, you know, that was a huge fear, you know, that that was like the intense of the shock and the fear of, of those early days as well. It was kind of like, I can't go back to who I was when I was like before I met him because, you know, I was 21, I'm not right. 21 anymore. And I thought, and I can't be the person that I was when I was with him because I'm not, he's not here to be with. Mm. And um, I thought, I don't know who the fuck I am. Right. And I don't know who, I don't know who I want to be. And, you know, there was all of, oh man, that was just a whole shitload of processing. Yeah, um, I can't even imagine. So terrifying, like really scary. Because in that, like I knew, like I was having this complete loss of identity, but I also knew that I was responsible for two kids. Right. And I was kind of like, how how do I actually pull this off? Like when I don't even know who I am, what I am, what I want, any of it. Like I just, and I think because I'm the kind of person that's really, I'm not good at running away from my own stuff. I like to sit in it, process it and do the work. Like I just, that's just something I've learned over the years. Even before Tuck died, I'd started to kind of just do some heavy duty inner work. So it was kind of a case of reconciling kind of my perspectives on the bigger picture of life and the world and the universe and all of that stuff. So reconciling that with the reality of what had happened because I was so damn certain that Tuck and I were working together on making the change on a level that was doable for us, that right. we were actually kind of, we were so in sync and aligned with um, our values and what we wanted to create in our life and um, the impact that we wanted to have that it was kind of, it was going to be a team effort. And so I had to sit in figuring out because I still <laughs> like I still knew I still had this other belief system that I was really committed to like that was in, infused in who I was but how was I actually going to match that up with what the reality of what had happened and stuff so I had to actually sit in that and then and loads of writing like you know there's some there's some oh my god there's books worth of journals throughout that time throughout that process once I'd actually kind of figured that out for myself, figured out, okay, this is why it's happened. You know, like I kind of found a reasoning in there that that I understood, that made sense to me. That was enough for me to hold on to. And that I think was probably a huge stepping stone in me healing and, mm. um, you know, and, and coming out of that really depths of despair sort of lack of knowing kind mm. of space but it did change the slow it changed a lot of that and I had to also compromise with myself on that because I guess you have to recalibrate what's actually possible now you're single you're a single parent with two young yeah. kids and you have <laughs> yeah. you, you know and you're like you're dealing with all of this yourself plus supporting your children through it plus you know, you like you said, you have made these changes with Tuck and they are very precious to you and they're important to you. So but how do you make that work on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. So what does that actually yeah. look like for you now? I mean, you're, you work, you're a freelance <laughs> writer, um, you, you're a single parent and you make 
you're still making these changes and these shifts and, and living a, like a simpler, slower life, which is actually work. So how do you make that work every day? It looks different every single day. And every single day I, oh, far out, I had to become really clear and committed to my boundaries and, and clear on what those boundaries are for myself. That flows on to every aspect of, of of my life and what I choose to say yes to, what I choose to say no to. Mm. I politely I politely decline pretty much all invitations, you know, 98% of invitations because then I can say yes to the things that truly are going to be in alignment with me and my kids and our needs and the things that are actually going to bring us joy and fuel us rather than deplete us. I make it sound like I've got this totally under control that I'm, you know, now nailing it every day. But you know what? I fail constantly. <laughs> and then I just kind of go and I just learn and I just kind of go, yeah, whoops, okay, that okay. didn't actually, that was not a smart one for me to say yes to. And the kids and I talk about it a lot as well. Like, you know, like decisions are family decisions a lot of the time. Like I will sort of say, you know, this has come up, um, you know, if we say yes to it, it means that this, that this won't get done or that we can't do this. I'm always thinking ahead mm -hmm. so if I say yes to something then I know that it like say for example if we if we've got a white space weekend like no commitments you know sometimes I'll actually declare what I call domestic lockdown weekends no one goes in no one comes out I like that and, <laughs> <laughs> you know and that is just not negotiable that is just how it is and I I recognize in advance within myself when that's needed because because I'm, you know, like me and my kids, we're, we're a pretty tight team and I know that how I'm feeling is generally going to be the same as how they're feeling. If, if I'm feeling overloaded, overwhelmed, you know, overcommitted, I know that that's what they're going to be feeling as well, only they just don't have the words to communicate it in, those, in that same way. They'll just be having meltdowns or something instead. So I, can't, I know that if I kind of think, okay, you know, tomorrow's going to be a home day. I mean, this is, you know, hypothetical. You know, tomorrow's going to be a home day. You know, I'll get the seedlings planted out and I'll, you know, get um, this done and, you know, then we'll kind of, three of us will take the dog for a walk and, you know, there'll be stuff, you know, like there'll be things like that. And then if an invitation comes, first of all, check in with myself and I kind of go, is that, you know, is that something that I want to be giving my time and energy towards and I become really aware of if it's not a I don't know how this makes me sound whether it makes me sound a little bit kind of ruthless and bitchy but it doesn't it, it's not how I actually it's not how I actually project it because I'm friendly to everyone but um but I I'm very mindful of where my time and energy goes Friend, friendships for me anyone who, like um Close relationships are very intentional. I, I'm, if I, because if I, I've made, and I've made this mistake so many times over, you'd think that I'd be like, I've learned by now, but I continually kind of go, oh, whoops. But, you know, if someone's going to suck my energy, you know, and it's not a mutual exchange, you know, if I don't, if I don't walk away from a catch up or, or a commitment feeling good, it's my kids that cop it, right? And I don't think that's and I don't think that's fair. You know, they don't deserve that. You no. know, because because I because I've made a wrong choice. Um, that's not their fault. But 
it's how it goes. So yeah, exactly. And like the the margin. I mean, so I I think about myself and my energy, and I I know that Ben, like I've got that margin of having Ben in my corner, so that on those days where I'm like I've given too much and I'm not great to be around, yeah. like he's there. Yeah. And then you had to completely recalibrate to to a point where, like you said, your boundaries would be the most important part of yeah. of managing that because like there is no buffer. No, and I've become really good because my kids are slightly older now than when they were um, when Tuck first died. Like now we've had a few years, like it'll be four years this January, and we communicate really well. Mm. Like I know, I know when I'm empty and, and I'll say to them before I've flipped out, like before, if I know that I'm in a space, where if they push me and I, that that if that is not going to go, it's not going to be pretty and it's going to end badly, you know, with me kind of like yelling or losing my temper or just, you know, being psycho mummy or something like that, I can feel that within me. I can feel it's like that little gurgle of a volcano. Like I, I can feel my emotional imbalance in me and I've become really aware of that and, and really good at recognising that ahead of time now. So I say to the kids, you guys need to know that I am empty this afternoon or tonight. I have nothing left to give please just take it easy on me cut me some slack don't ask anything extra of me because I'm not going to manage it well and they know they know what that means they know that oh mummy's got the mummy's got the twitch in her eye come on Noah you know like eat me or grab Noah go come on Noah let's go outside (laughs) you know like it's kind of like yeah let's give mummy some space and you know like they are really good at acknowledging it because they know that if they don't respect that it goes bad right which affects everyone, yeah. Which affects everyone because, you know, I, I, I'll i then kind of, you know, lose the plot, you know, have a big screen and then no one's happy. Everyone's kind of, you know, disjointed from it. And then I go into extreme levels of mummy guilt because I've just lost my shit and <laughs> it's just vicious. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the best thing to do is just for me to communicate ahead of time. To, and that doesn't mean to say that it doesn't happen. It just means to say that... I'm a, it happens a lot less frequently and it happens, I've just become really good at recognising that space ahead of time and giving my kids warning, like giving them a heads up to kind of go, you push me, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, it's just like, yeah, I guess it's, it sounds like it's obviously communication, as you said, and also aware, you know, awareness, just developing that personal awareness and, you know, you, you figure out your bodies and your brain's language and the warning signs that they give you over time by necessity. One of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about before we wrap up is our shared love of journaling as a self-care ritual. So when do you journal? I... I, I think journaling probably looks different for every single person who does it as a regular practice. For me, it looks nothing like, dear diary, this is what I did today. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> you know, like my journal is, it's a brain dump place. It's the place where um, I'll workshop stuff. Like I, it keeps me sane, you know, like it clears my head. Like I, um, I'll, I'll write down insights in it. I'll write down a quote that I've come across that really resonates with me. I'll, um, especially if I'm listening to like a podcast or if I am, I listen to a lot of audio books instead of reading books just because I like to knit and, you know, it kind of means that I can do two at once. Yeah. And if 
something strikes me in that audio, you know, I'll just put down the knitting for a minute and pick up my journal and I'll just pause it and I'll write it down. Like, you know, uh, just stuff like that. Like, it's, and it's a place where, where I troubleshoot issues. Like, I'll pour my heart out to it. Like, if, you know, if something's really hard and I, you know, and I'm a bit lost on it and stuff, it's part of my process of finding a solution. You know, like then, can you hear the dog? Sorry, okay, <laughs> deliveries just come. I've got the earphones on, so it's muffled for me, but I'm sure it's much louder for you. Yeah, it's also a place where, um, you know, like if something really amazing has happened or something just really kind of quirky has happened, like, you know, one of the kids comes out with something, but I'll just go, where the hell did that come from? Like, It'll be something I want to remember. So that's the sort of thing that will go on my journal. Like I may not pick up my journal for a couple of weeks and then I may have like a binge session where I'm just writing my journal constantly for several days at a time and then, you know, like it's always at hand. Like I always know where my journal is and it's never far away. I always always have a notebook with me in my bag that, you know, it goes in, you know, your handbag kind of thing. It's not unknown for me to pull over while I'm driving because something has popped into my head and I have to get it out. I don't like having, I don't like trying to retain a good thought. If I've got a good thought that's formulated in my head, (laughs) such a bad analogy, but I have to say it, it's like a projectile vomit. I have to get it out. (laughs) And you know you'll feel better once it is. God, yes, exactly, because not only do I... I know that if, if you know, like say, for example, I'm on the way to school pickup, I know that if I get to school pickup, a parent talks to me or my kids talk to me, that's gone. That right. thought is gone. And it will bug me so much because it'll be phrased exactly. So it's like it won't be necessarily for an article or for anything in particular. It'll just be a formulation of words that I think explains something really well. I don't know. Like this is just the way my brain works. I need to be active and my brain, my mind is constantly active and journaling as well as, you know, going for walks and being out in nature and getting regular doses of that is part of my self-care for um, just quietening the noise right? because it's too loud in there. Yeah, I hear you. My head's exactly the same. And I find that if I go too long without journaling, that noise, it's it's like a really gradual build up. I don't necessarily know that it's happening until I have one of those days where I'm, you know, irrational and irritated. And I'm like, oh, well, that's because everything is up in my head. I haven't, I haven't kind of bloodlet, you know, and that's kind of what it feels like for me. It's just like releasing the pressure because I generally just stream of consciousness, right? Like I just blurt whatever. And if I have nothing to write, I I say I have nothing to write until I have something to write. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just, it's an energy thing, I think, for me. And for me, what I'm like, as you're talking, I'm also hearing you kind of describe essentially another way of helping you maintain your boundaries as well. And that's something that you've become aware of over the years. I think it's it's brilliant. And I think that journaling, honestly, is one of the most powerful tools that anyone has to hand to help deal with that sense of overwhelm, to help deal with mm. good situations, bad situations, situations that we're confused about. I think so often I don't realise I'm thinking something until I've written it down. Yeah. And it's phenomenal how often that happens. And then also how different you feel uh, and it's not necessarily like a solution has just appeared in front of me. It's just that 
it's given space. You know, the, like my brain has been given space. Oh, yeah. that's it. Space. Yeah, because otherwise it's just um, cluttered. Yeah, ex- exactly. Mental clutter. We've got to get it out. Yeah. So, Zan, I would honestly love to talk to you for hours because I feel like you've got so much to share. And, I mean, we'd barely scratch the surface, I think, of, of what the last few years have held for you and your family. And, you know, you and I were talking earlier about this year. But I want to thank you for just showing up and being honest and being open and answering all my questions and having such a great conversation it's been really genuinely wonderful talking to you oh Brooke thank you yeah it's it's been really fulfilling it's been one of the most fulfilling conversations I've had in a long time thank you I'm really happy to hear that Who is that? Hi, Puck.